So I'm really excited, man. I just got Super League season tickets for five hundred dollars. Um, I I got some bad news for you. <laughs> I need, think you need to call up Perez and talk to him a little bit. <laughs> you're um, you're saying you're saying this was a bad investment. I I think that you know that this is this can I mean, only go up in worth. You might have to wait like another decade for those tickets to come good. <laughs> was it ever going to be a good idea? Like, wh- how did this thing get get so far down the road that they then decided at the last minute, no, we shouldn't do this? It's it's wild to me because as I hear the stories of backtracking of teams pulling out and where you hear them going like certain teams which are like, well, we really didn't want to do it, but we went in because all the other ones were doing it and we didn't want to feel left behind. And you just sort of like shake your head and you're like, didn't your parents teach you better? <laughs> Clearly not. Welcome to wherever you are. My name is Ryan McNeil in Toronto, Canada. You are listening to episode 260 of The Matinee Cast. It's a movie-loving podcast of my movie-loving website, thematinee.ca. You're home for cinematic passion and perspective. Keeping this podcast going has meant a lot to me over the last year and change. I've been able to keep connected with guests and listeners during a time where we've all been thrown into such chaos. I've tacked into the wind of changing release patterns for the sorts of films we usually discuss, or even lack of releases in the middle chunk of last year. And it's allowed me a small measure of normalcy and productivity during a very uncertain personal stretch in my life. In a weird and unexpected way, publishing these episodes into my feed like clockwork every two weeks has been a boost to the system and a source of personal pride. So when I got to this spot in the calendar and wasn't sure if I'd be able to post, I thought for a second about taking a seat on the bench for a bit, but instead I've reached out to a dear friend for a little bit of podcasting foolishness today to keep the momentum going. He's had a pretty wild few months himself and is the king of podcasting foolishness. I've got my Midtown neighbor back on the hot seat today, Big Daddy over at the Unnamed Movie Podcast. Andrew Robinson is back. How are you, man? I, I, I'm doing wonderful, but I love even more. You're like, I don't know what to watch now. And then you're like, let me pull up Andrew's Letterboxd and see what we can talk about. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm sure there's dumb things out there that I've just, you know, gleaned past. What is the dumb thing that I should take the bait on and, and actually, you know, like risk whether it's 90 minutes or 100 minutes or two hours of my life? There's, there's very little money being invested these days. So that part's off the table. It's really just my time. And I mean, of the things, I feel like time is something you have much of right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, really. It's 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 the only thing I have a lot of right this second. A quick note off the top of the show. As this weird year continues, I can use a little bit of help steering this podcast forward. Relax, I'm not asking for money or launching a Patreon. What I am seeking is both titles to talk about and guests to talk with. So if you come across something coming up on demand and think this would make for a good matinee cast and you want to drop by and talk about it, drop me a note and hopefully we can work something out. And hey, if you're worried that you've never done a podcast or you haven't done all that many, I have a big old cluster of those sorts of guests at the beginning of the year and they all turned out great. So get in touch. I'd be happy to to sit down and talk and talk about some new movies. Um, As we mentioned earlier, we are doing this episode on the fly. Um, We're doing it on kind of short rest. So we're going to spare Mr. Robinson another round of Know Your Enemy, which is also good for me because I think you're into a new round of questions and that just basically saves me homework. What we are going to begin with is just um, to kind of like warm up, um, talk about what we've been watching lately. Um, Mr. Robinson, you, of course, you have far less time on your hands, but uh, in, in between... Premier League games and, uh, you know, new parenthood. What uh, what have you been watching lately? 
Oh, by the way, I've I've turned parenthood into moviehood as I just sit by and watch movies with Noah while I feed him. That's it. I'm just like, <laughs> I mean, that that's great multitasking. That's uh, that clearly shows that you have priorities. I consider it me attempting to begin his education, you know, in that way that all of us kind of pretend to think where our children will love the movies we love. I'm, I'm, we're we're going to have a conversation about that someday, I'm sure. <laughs> You know, I can lie to myself right now, and that's what I've been doing. So Totally. But what I've been watching, um, let me talk about the movie I actually watched yesterday, which I, I popped up randomly. And yesterday was a day of movies in which I started being like, oh, I think I know what this movie's going to be, and then it's completely not. Um, I watched, um, to pick a movie, the 2017 Korean film, um, A Taxi Driver with Sang Kang-ho, um, where he is quote-unquote, a taxi driver. Um, it's a story about the 1980s in Korea. And apparently there was a, a province, a city by the name of Gwangju, which was under military occupation. or And lots of bad things were happening in that town. Information wasn't coming out. A journalist from out of town comes in and says, I need to get to that town. And he gets in the car of um, San Kang-ho's taxi. Um, he plays a father who's trying to get by. He's a, he's a widower. Um, and it's just one of these stories where like it starts out where San Kang Ho is this like late fair, like he's struggling, but he's like a fun guy. You can see his um, negatives towards um, protests and let's call them the youth um, <laughs> as he's like, these children don't know what they're fighting about. Like, this country is great. Like the way I like to think of it is he comes off, if we were to put it in Western words, he comes out very Republican. Gotcha. And uh, so, and then he goes literally on this journey with this journalist into this into this town that's literally cut off from his country, and all these awful things are happening. And it just goes from there. This is what I've been watching. This, <laughs> I uh, where did you where did you find it? It's like it's on Prime right now. Is that where you watched yeah, it? Yeah, I watched I watched it on Prime. Okay, I'm not familiar with Jang Hoon as a director, but um, I mean the the story and what I'm seeing of it certainly look interesting. It's funny because it's it's listed as a drama, but like looking at that image on the poster, it seems like yeah. it's a romp. That's kind of what I was expecting. I was like, oh, like even if there are like serious things going on in here, he will be like a Deadpool-esque kind of guy who's just like running around and like making jokes at the whole matter and um, like tricking his way into situations and out of situations rather than being like, oh my God, I'm now sad all this time. Right. I've read some articles talking about Korean cinema and as, as someone who loves watching Korean movies, but at the same time, I feel... I've only seen like a small subsection of Korean movies, which are just like the violent revenge action movies right. that I love. Right. Um, I saw like, I, I occasionally will see these articles pop up, which are like, you like Korean movies. Why not watch some of these like pointing to some other like zany comedies or dramas that have come out of there. And this was one of those movies. And I'm like, yeah, I like, I like that guy. Sang Kang Ho. Um, he was in Parasite and all the other stuff I like. I mean, one of those things that I think about what like when you mention it that way is, you know, when we when we find ourselves latching on to the cinema of a particular nation, like for a long time there, I had a real affinity for movies out of Spain. And and I still do. I shouldn't use it in the past tense. I still do. We end up seeing like the biggest ones that make it to the international market. There are probably hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of films from any given country that we've never seen and never heard of. 
Yeah, I mean, it brings me back to something I mentioned on Twitter the other day. I've been I've been revisiting Cowboy Bebop, um, which I mean, it's an anime, but it's one of the more popular animes to come out in the two thousands, late nineties. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. I I've heard of it, but I've never seen it. <laughs> right, um, like it was one of the first animes I saw. Right, um, and like it's a banger. Right, it is just pure joy and lovely and amazing but it was at that point in time before the internet and before the way films and anime and all these things are distributed where basically the best of the best of the best of the best has to trickle out of the country to then someone on the west like say a cartoon network or your local station buys the rights to it gets the dub and then plays it for you and then you're like you think all anime is great because you just saw this one yeah really great one that they picked out for you yeah um and then now in 2020 where like i sign up for a funimation or a crunchyroll um and i'm like watching random things and i'm like oh wait no they have bad animes just like how the west (laughs) has bad tv shows exactly why didn't didn't someone warn me (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh you know taxi driver it certainly seems interesting i'll give it a i'll give it a look so hot docs is going on right now and uh if i had a had my my ducks more in a row i would have gone a little bit deeper into hot docs but i think i'm only gonna have time for three or four movies this year but i did um catch one of them this week on opening night on thursday um i caught this documentary called portrayal directed by billy mintz which is about um this dude who's actually part of the crew so it kind of seems like it's his documentary even though it's not he's I, i think he's a cameraman or he's a producer but this guy named roman who his grandfather his deceased grandfather was a visual artist he's mid 20s i'd say and all around his family home are all these paintings that his grandfather did. And they're gorgeous. Like they're, they're professional quality paintings. They're not just, you know, like somebody's grandfather really liked to do, you know, that kind of art. You know, you, you know, the kind of work I'm, I'm talking about. You got to know when you see it and just be like, oh, he's my uncle. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, like yeah. That, those guys. This is not that. This is really good work. This is stuff that could hang in galleries. And that's actually what he's trying to do is he's trying to collect it all and trying to put together some sort of exhibit. But he realizes that there's a lot of it missing. And it's all back with the his extended family in Israel. And this leads down this road of his grandfather had an arrangement with another local artist to basically produce work for him, which is turned into this family secret because a great number of this grandfather's work is just gone. You know, like this other guy has it, this other guy didn't ever give it back or didn't ever give him credit. He just has all of these pieces and the family has treated it like this dirty little secret So it's on the one hand, first of all, it's a look into this family coming to a a moment of truth with, you know, this dirty secret in their in their history and why they never talk about it, what kind of pain it brings up, what kind of memories it brings up for this grandson, his mother, the, the daughter, and also like the wife, the grandmother is still alive. And then it also spends a lot of time with this other artist who the grandfather worked with. And shows like what his outlook on art is and how he formed this arrangement. I don't want to say too much because it's it it's got this weird way of showing it's showing the truth. You know, like any documentary that you find can often seem like it's about 
something. You know, like you can say that capturing the freedmen's starts out about clowns, but then it turns into something a whole lot darker. Portrayal doesn't turn into something darker, but it does get into a deeper and deeper truth as it goes along. So I don't really want to unveil that whole deeper, deeper truth. It's a really good movie. Um, I think that the director didn't really trust the story quite enough because there's a lot of narrative um, choices that he makes that I'm, I'm a little bit perplexed with. He would have been better off just dialing things back a little bit and trusting the story instead of having to constantly undercut it with a lot of the emotional conversation that you're privy to. It's it's handsome, first of all, because it's just chock-a-block full of art. And um, yeah, as far as a piece of nonfiction goes, it's a really good inclusion to Hot Docs this year. Yeah, I continue to feel guilty that I keep forgetting about Hot Docs. Well, the good news this year is that it's all... Uh, intentionally virtual. Last year, they really had to think on their feet because they had the rug pulled out from them. It's a festival that always happens at the beginning of May, and Hot Docs got the rug pulled out from them in the middle of March last year. This year, because they had a whole year to kind of think about how they were going to attack this, they've gone completely virtual. So I'll include a link in the show notes. If people are interested, especially in Canada, I don't know how their geo-blocking is working to anybody who's listening outside of uh, Canada, you can get to digital tickets for these movies and watch them from the comfort of your couch. Um, and there's a lot of cool stuff this year. There's a doc about Sesame street. There's a doc that quest love did about like this iconic summer of soul. Um, so Andrew, if you're, um, you know, if you got some time this week and you, and you're curious rather than needing to go down to Bloor and Bathurst and stand in a line this year, you can, you know, you can get Noah and introduce him to the wild world of nonfiction from the comfort of the couch. But we have a larger film to talk about today, and it's a little bit of a different selection for us. Come on back right after this quick break. We're going to talk about nobody right after this. Baby, you understand me now. If sometimes you see that I'm mad. Don't you know no one alive can always be an angel When everything goes wrong you see some bad But I'm just a soul whose intentions are good Oh Lord, please don't let me be Nobody is directed by Ilya Nashuler. It's written by Derek Colsted. It stars Bob Odenkirk, Connie Nielsen, Michael Ironside, uh, Alexei Serebyakov, nailed it, and Christopher Lloyd. The titular nobody in this film is Hutch Mansell. That's Odenkirk. When we get a glimpse of his life, it sure as shit is easy to describe him as, quote, a nobody, end quote. Suburban husband and father, his life is a pattern of chores, subway commutes, data entry, bag lunches, and domestic ennui. Repeat. Truly, the man appears to be nothing special, something his own family doesn't even mind underlining. Then one night, nobody gets unexpected guests. A pair of burglars break into his home in an act of petty larceny. When Hutch doesn't exactly stand his ground, assumptions about what sort of man he really is start to swirl. But you know what they say, what happens when you assume. The invasion opens a door to a past Hutch thought he had packed away and leads him down a dark road to a criminal underbelly of society. The joke, though, is on us, and also on the criminals, because the line between nobody and somebody is a thin one, and it doesn't take very much to cross it. Nobody isn't the sort of film we normally talk about on this show. Not to suggest that this film 
or its ilk is bad necessarily, just that it's not what we normally get into on this space. It, it is what it is. Something quick, fun, and flashy with lots of things going boom and punchy lines delivered by somebody with cool confidence. It's a format that has centered everyone from Keanu Reeves to Charlize Theron in recent years. Perhaps I tend to overlook such films on this podcast due to uncertainty of placement and the cinematic landscape. So a pop quiz hotshot, what is the inherent value of these sorts of stories? To take us back a moment, right? First of all, I think you truly have a problem with the name Hutch, <laughs> right? I think that's what was messing you up. But taking it back, I've been thinking a lot on this. And I'm going to talk about something that I don't know that much about, but I've been listening to people talk about for many years and via other podcasts and other YouTube channels that I, I listen to. Who they, they, I listen to them primarily about some sort of media I enjoy, whether it be video games or movies or television. But these guys also happen to be in love with a thing that I fell out of love when when I became older than eight years old, and that's wrestling. Oh God! Um, right, danger. I have Robinson. no knowledge. I have no knowledge of what modern wrestling really is, um, or anything of the sort. However, there's a weird part of me that, like, listening to these people talk about wrestling and talk about how they view wrestling now as adults watching it. Because in my head, I've always been like, I can't watch that, but. As I hear their viewpoints of listening to them talk about wrestling and these storylines generated through action, I think more and more about how movies have taken that concept and brought it into... Not taken the concept, but maybe they both came from the same origins of their own. But because wrestling is so... I guess primal is the word you'd want to use, where they have nothing else, right? You really just have like a couple lines of like an entry and then there are the fights right 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 um while movies have all of their dialogue scenes and people will watch bad action movies and say oh they talk too much right <laughs> um there's there's something i pay more and more attention to as i watch fight scenes in movies and i think more and more about the narrative told via fight scenes right and there's some movies that spend a lot more time kind of nailing down that concept really well, um, whether it is that they're attempting to make their story be told or at least telling us about their characters through action, whether it is a movie like Nobody, which tells us about the kind of person he is when he does turn on and also when he doesn't, right? You talk about the scene when he has the robbery and um, he he doesn't act, Yeah. right? Um, and even though the movie takes its time to explain it in its own dialogue moments, you then see the opposite of it, say, on the bus ride, right? Which has been in all of the marketing, mm -hmm. um, the bus scene in which he does act, where you start to see who this person is, right? And this is inherently where I find the value of these movies, right? Especially the quote, especially the good ones, let's say. Like, there are, like, um, there are bad movies, straight up, full stop, underlined and italicized right <laughs> um but the good action movies they spend the time to generate action scenes and choreography in ways that aren't necessarily just cathartic fun to see people get punched in the face but also ways of telling us who these people are right and that's the value of how nobody is set up to me I think for me, one of the things I appreciate about films like Nobody, and there are, you know, it's not, 
nobody is in no way a singular movie. I think people can kind of already understand that by the way we're talking about it. And if you've seen anything of its trailer or its marketing, we're probably going to mention some movies of its ilk as we go along, but it's not exactly something that's a rare and precious snowflake. But what I like about these kinds of movies is at the very least, they provide some fun and some entertainment that's not too brainless you know like don't get me wrong i i enjoy i enjoy stupidity as much as the next person but there comes a point where you know you suggested a film in between acts like you were talking about mortal Kombat, and i'm like no no no. i already know i'm not gonna have fun with that this is something i know i'm gonna have fun with but at the same time is not part of a larger property you know like everything these days kind of seems like it's some sort of property whether it's a game or a comic book or a book or something like that we do need some of these more singular stories even if they become franchises unto themselves where a person doesn't have to come in steeped with a whole lot of lore to understand what's going on so it's it's in a way like first of all it's a movie for grown-ups like this isn't exactly a movie i'd say for kids and it's a movie that like you say wants to talk about character through its action beats it doesn't want to be just nameless faceless drones um that that are kicking the ass out of each other it wants the heavies and the people around the heavies to make their character known by the way they fight or don't fight sometimes so are you telling me that there's no chance for odin kirk and keanu reeves to walk past each other at some time i would not be surprised if one day we see hutch versus wick i thought if these <laughs> two i don't know if they come from the same studio or not or if these studios want to get together roger rabbit style and make that happen but i totally believe that not, one i totally believe that that would that could and would happen and two i certainly believe that i would be there for it especially if there's a scene in the library right? oh absolutely there needs to be more fights in libraries I, that, that's my note to hollywood i feel like this movie is a film that benefits from a bob odenkirk type because it leans into bob odenkirk's strengths right like he as much as he is a action man of this movie who is doing all of the punching and they've done all of the fun action in making it this fluidness, which um, you mentioned the director's name, but I don't know if you have any relationship with him, but this is the guy who brought us hardcore Henry a few years before. I don't know if you ever saw that film. Nope. Um, That was the, uh, the infamous one shot first person's perspective action movie. Oh yeah. I remember that. No, thanks. Go on. (laughs) The most video game a movie has ever been, right? right? It's it's insane. Um, and this movie feels like if that guy saw John Wick and said, I have a thought, um, and he kind of just went with it. Um, the action scenes are fun. I love how they play the comedy in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, there is there is one man who plays Mr. Odenkirk's father. Yeah. Who, I don't know if we want to throw that away, but oh my goodness, he... like. His presence is a joke, and the way his scenes play out are the best. We'll get to him. Like we, we cannot talk about this movie without talking about him. I might throw a little bit of a spoiler warning because I want to talk about him, and I want to talk about somebody who begins as a voice and then shows up as a person. It's crazy because on the one hand, I do believe this movie would work with a lot of different actors in the lead as Hutch. But you're right to say that Odenkirk brings that little extra something, something, uh, you know, if anybody, 
uh, I feel like Odenkirk, he's really learned a great deal of what he's capable of from Better Call Saul. Like when he showed up in Breaking Bad, he was doing one thing all the time. He was doing that shysty lawyer thing all the time. And it was always awesome. It was always funny. He delivered lines the way that only Odenkirk can deliver lines. But when the spinoff arrived and it was like, okay, how are we going to frame five or six seasons of television around a character where we know how they end and make it interesting it presented a new challenge to everybody including odenkirk and there's a lot of moments where odenkirk he doesn't have to do nearly the action that he does like i I think i don't think he's ever like raised a hand and better call saul like certainly not to the extent that he does in nobody but it forced him more into the limelight in terms of how he carries himself, how he delivers all kinds of different dialogue, not just shysty lawyer bullshit, and has really elevated him in terms of his craft. Like, we always knew he was funny. He's having a great little late-in-life renaissance that a lot of actors don't get. It is incredible. And, I mean, the thing I think about with this movie that makes Odenkirk work work so well is that as you say, as he learned in The Breaking Bad to then The Better Call Saul, I'm pretty sure he knew this many moons before those shows existed. We just didn't see them or document them in ways that we do today. Um, he, he's learned how to build up that character of the sad sack. Yeah. Right? And for us to, like, fall in love with him. Right? Um, he's also... This movie has also learned the lessons that people like, say, Jackie Chan has taught which is that it's cool for us to see action people who are invincible. It's almost funner for us to see action people who are not. Yeah. Right? Right? It, they can still be great action stars, but they are they still leave with a bloody nose when they finish the fight. Yeah. Right? I mean, you know, like 30 years ago, this kind of story would have been played. Like you would have had somebody like Sylvester Stallone or you know, Steven Seagal or one of those guys play this ex- ex-marine and I, I think you know like it's funny because the film gives us clues early on as to how hutch is more than what he seems but it really has the patience to pay that off like at first you kind of just think that maybe he's just a normal dude who has a head on his shoulders and doesn't want everything to be about violence but it doesn't take very long before it shows, you know, no, there's a lot more to him that he's deliberately actually holding back. And I think that's that's a writing choice that's really good. It's also a, a stylistic choice that's really good in this movie. So my question to you is this, like you talk about enjoying this, these kinds of movies that are not parts of universes, that are not um, properties. things that properties that become bigger. Yeah. Um, like how do you how do you marry the two concepts where say we we get into a certain property and that movie goes say three four pick a number um, installments and there are ups and there are downs but you have your favorites say for example like my love of Sir John Wick right and how like honestly I feel like that move that franchise didn't pick up until the second episode right. In a movie like this, like it's it's always interesting for me to see it at the beginning where you're where we have like this weird fear where we're like, I hope they don't try and make a part two because we don't want them to mess with it. But at the same time, there's still possibility. Like, do you watch this movie and think to yourself, there could be something in like more of this story, or are you like, I'm good? I mean, I I would prefer if this was 
a one-off the the way that the film is structured it kind of lends itself that there may be more of these uh, certainly where the story eventually goes it seems to beg for there to be more of these i can't ever fault the hollywood system for wanting more you know like i usually fault them for running something into a ground you know I'm, i usually say i like, try to leave somewhat on top They've, they're already making john wick spin-offs you know while they're doing that there's still places for new stories about new angles on this whole thing of one tough guy right that, that's the thing i like is that this is not one tough guy who just had a bad day this is a story about a particular dude who made a particular choice and led a life of general quiet until catastrophe came to him and those are the kinds of stories that i, I like seeing i kind of wish that we would see more of them that aren't necessarily straight white dudes but i hope we'll get there the one thing I will say about this particular movie as well is I enjoyed its stylistic choice. Um, the movie really has studied the editing and stylishness of Edgar Wright movies um, because in the early going to really underline how monotonous and repetitious Hutch's life has become, we see these really quick cuts of pouring coffee, swiping Metro cards, entering data into a spreadsheet you know, missing the garbage truck, <laughs> repeat. You know, it's this really economic way to spell out who Hutch has become without spending a whole lot of time spelling out what what Hutch has become. Did that work for you? I mean, I think there was a part of me that was like, Art, I'm glad they did this in this way so that we could move on, right? right. We the, the movie needed to set this up for, I guess, people who need to follow stories. Um, and that's cool. I actually didn't think about the Edgar Wright connection. Like, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, like, it, kudos to them. Um, one thing I wanted to mention with this movie I want to ask you about is the one failing I feel of this movie is it's bad guys, right? I mean, while I think the, the Russian madman, the Russian karaoke man <laughs> is a fun character, especially in his like dancing karaoke scenes. Um, like he has a time. There is like a slew of just almost like gray splotches that are the enemies that come at you right. in this movie that I felt was just the probably the, the weakest thing about this movie. They're there in the same way that like the crazy 88 are there in Kill Bill. Um, they're, they're, just, they're just red shirts. For I'm I'm setting a I'm setting a <laughs> podcast record for the amount of cross property references I'm dropping into one review. Um, they're just tomato cans for him to punch through while he's you know slowly getting up to boss level. Um, Yulian, the the character played by Alexei uh, Serbrakov, he's you know he's not the most interesting villain. He's not exactly fully fleshed out. Uh, even when the narrative fully turns over onto him, like he gets his own title card. We don't really know why he's doing what he's doing besides money. And he does really rush into things when he finds out that his brother has had a run in with Hutch. Um, you know, it's kind of funny because we don't learn a whole lot about Yulian, um, aside from the fact that. He's a Russian mob enforcer. He loves his karaoke. 
and you know he he loves his brother the same way that we learn about hutch you know what i'm saying like hutch when we start to learn the truth about who hutch is and again it's done in that really economic way we learn enough even just through Julian's assistant tossing him the folder with a packed suitcase and saying, I'm out, see you later. You know, like that kind of thing. When when one person looks at his file and is like, nope, that tells you a lot about one character. And we never get that about the villain. I mean, I wonder, and I think they they spend so much time telling us about, about Odenkirk's character, not just in those scenes, but even through the action like the closest we get to that with um russian badman julian um is he sings karaoke he like murders a fool randomly because someone made a joke at him and i guess he crosses the street without looking and he doesn't die yeah yeah just through dumb luck (laughs) no no he he knows he won't (laughs) die people know not to hit him right right (laughs) yeah when you get into a movie like this a lot of times it is only as interesting as its villain but i think what that's made up for is the fact that like you say we're we're fixated on the hero through the actions so maybe if they make more of these we'll have a more interesting villain but the first time around it's it's not what it's out there to do i think the funny thing for me is i when I look at this movie, the one real failing that I have to circle is that it really doesn't do right by Connie Nielsen. She plays Rebecca, and who is Hutch's wife. And, you know, we know that their marriage has gone really, really cold. There are pillows in between them when they sleep. And I mean, like, a wall of pillows. When Hutch is doing his exercises during the day, he's doing pull-ups in front of his wife's real estate poster at a bus shelter. Like, we are really spelling out how checked out of this marriage this woman has become. And we never really square that later on when she realizes the truth about her husband. On top of the fact that, I mean, one of the things that I don't entirely get is the timeline of all of this because she talks about how Hutch was only an accountant in the military and she never looks at him the way somebody would if they had married, you know, the the kind of badass that Hutch actually is. And they have kids. So he he talks about how he walked away from that kind of life. But I'm like, how long ago did you do that? That you've been lying in wait for your wife to basically check out, for your kids to look at you like you're a joke. These that those two things I do really wonder about with this movie. I envision films like this where those characters don't get their time because the movie is about the action. Um, they have those scenes to kind of show you only from his perspective what the marriage is. Yeah, right. It is a failing of writing and of people's expectations today mm-hmm. that movies of this ilk will become more holistic and become more. Um, the the Watchmen TV series of these stories where she'll get her own episode and the son will get his episode and everyone's story will be told. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I left this movie feeling like she was shortchanged as a character. I mean, if we want to talk about being shortchanged as a character, I'd more like to talk about how say you're that person who's that checked out of the marriage and then you find out your husband is a murderer <laughs> and almost got your entire family killed. Um, 
are you having that ending scene that you have with your husband? These moves don't make sense. No. Right? So I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to take this movie upon it to be like, why didn't Connie get like a whole thing? This is true. I guess I just wanted one more conversation. Like Connie gets crumbs. Connie gets the crumbs of taking those pillows away. And presumably they hit it when she kind of realizes that her husband is tougher than she thinks. And Connie also does get the crumb late in the movie of, of, you know, realizing what kind of house they need going forward in this marriage. But it's just one of those things that I feel in, in 2021, these are the sorts of, greater ways we should be approaching these kinds of characters in a movie like this. Um, I will say the one, the one thing I do like about this movie is it's kind of a weird half-assed gentle meditation on masculinity because at the beginning of this movie, when we see Hutch basically as an, an emasculated suburban husband and father where his brother-in-law has to give him a gun to protect his family where his neighbor is mocking the kind of car that he drives and, and, you know, the kind of uh, approach that he takes. It's, it's crazy because here is a person who could dismantle any of these people who cross him if he wanted to, like he has that kind of training and yet he chooses to dial things down. He chooses to, uh, de-escalate at every turn. And yet at first, like because he doesn't wear his machismo on his sleeve, we are supposed to see him as lesser. I, that's the one thing I got to give this movie is muddled in amongst all of this badassery and, and fighting. There is this kind of interesting look at what is a man supposed to be in 2021 talking about it in the frame of masculinity as opposed to thinking of it as a definition of what a man should be because you know no man should be shooting another man let's make that perfectly clear right. um <laughs> um i mean i'd allow a couple fights you know because people need to like fight some stuff out but preferably not the one thing i'd go into this movie is the concept and, and i feel like every other every other movie does this right which is the concept of being yourself right if if we're we're talking about a character who is hiding himself now you can talk about nature versus nurture as to whether um someone who is a murderer or a action person a person who acts um can be themselves like can be someone else that's a whole other debate um but this movie definitely sees hutch as that man the man who um doesn't start something but ends something Right. The the man who is confident and knows how to get to the end point when he has to get there. Um, but throughout the first half of the movie, he keeps that to himself and the world punishes him for it. Right. Whether it's at his job, whether it's at his marriage. And then literally he turns that switch and then boom, as far as we know, a third child is made. Um, <laughs> right? um, the, the job sorts itself out in its own way. And everything even his friends show up for for reasons right and he everything in life just seems perfect again even though it's a little hard going through it um so it's the it's the telling of self rather than masculinity in my mind um but yeah <laughs> i mean it is the telling of self like you could you could easily you know i, I mentioned Charlize Theron in the beginning of this movie and you could easily 
cast a woman into this as well and 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 have it as you know a former a former a female marine who is who's in this kind of life but i feel like it's it does something a little bit different when you see other guys inserting themselves into a man's life and making jokes about what he takes for lunch every day and what kind of car he drives and whether or not they would have you know got into a fight it kind of reminds me of you hear you know like you'll be at the bar you'll be among friends of friends and you'll hear people talking about like how badass they would be you know if this happened to me i would have done this and this and this it's like you know dude you have no idea what you're capable of until you're in it and and you know video games have really kind of made you believe that you're more of a badass than you actually are and then you have people who are trained to no end like hutch who are like you know what i know that the best thing for me to do right now is not hit this person because it's just going to go very badly and yet if a person makes that choice without having to explain themselves to somebody else we somehow see them especially when it's a man as lesser you know if a guy chooses not to drive a muscle car he is lesser if a guy wears pink sneakers he is lesser in the eyes of some other men usually i mean the one question i do have as well is you know i mentioned early on in the earlier on in this review about de-escalation there's more than one occasion in this movie where hutch walks away from a conflict or or hutch just he doesn't invite the conflict he just kind of waits for it to come there's the there's the moment on the bus where he actually talks about when one door closes another door opens please open that door and then there's another moment later on where he's waiting outside of Julian's club at the wheel of that Mustang. And he's actually got his fingers crossed. And I kind of wonder, like, in that moment, are his fingers crossed because he wants them to come at him? Or are those fingers crossed because he's like, let this be the end of it, please? I mean, in this movie, I think it's that he wants them to come at him. Um, <laughs> it's 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 weird. Like, it's probably my one hang-up, one of my hang-ups about the character itself. Like, if we're talking about this in the, in the case of, like, the... Um, the typical action hero who is um, good, new, who is a good person, right? Who is somebody who um, does what is morally good. Like he is a per- it, like it's obvious that Hutch is repressed and he is looking for an outlet. Yeah, and he he's looking for that guy to walk in and say something to him. Like even that bus that bus scene. Like he there. Like as much as those people were assholes. Yeah. Um like he he knew and we know that he didn't need to do that, right? Yeah. Um <laughs> right. Um almost like he knows that he didn't need to go as far as he did. But he did. He needed an outlet and he had to punch someone in the face. He just happened to punch the wrong someone in the face. Yeah. It's I mean that's that's the thing is I can't I don't know how those two things marry up. How this movie wants to be about you know, challenging the perceptions of what is and is not manly while at the same time invite, like waiting for a fight to find you because that's the, you know, if, if anything, this guy has spent years deliberately avoiding the fight and it's not like he just finally gets pushed too far. He finds these things completely by accident. And I mean, absolutely by accident, just because he can't look under the couch for a bracelet, you know, it's the whole reason why all of this gets set in motion. Um, I want to 
hit people up with a spoiler flag right now. There's a couple things that happen towards the end that I want to talk about. So if you are interested in this movie and you don't want to know about a couple surprises, uh, take this warning now and, and zero out. But if you want to stick around, the first thing I want to talk about is there are two supporting characters in this movie who are just absolute delights in how they turn up and who they turn out to be. You mentioned earlier his father played in this movie by Christopher Lloyd. Stock Brown. Sweet Jesus, Christopher Lloyd in this movie. There's a part of me that when you see this movie and you see him show up, you're like, oh, you, someone called you up and you like you sat in a chair and everyone told you like you don't have to do much. Yeah. Um, but he has his moments, right? Um, and it is glorious. Like the shotgun under the under the blanket. Yeah. Oh, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then when Ghost Dog shows up. Oh, oh boy. <laughs> So hang on, hang on, hang on. We we gotta take this one at a time because there's a there's a lot there. Christopher Lloyd, I mean, it like you say, like it's great when he just he plays the dad. Like I thought it was just gonna be that one little cameo. Hutch comes in to get the gun and and you know pilfers his old man's FBI badge because his old his old man is half there at the best of times and he's not gonna notice this shit going missing from his room. But then when the bad guys come calling on him and it's just a look like he doesn't even move his head. He just casts his eyes to the left. You're in that moment. You're like, Oh shit. You know, like it's about to start. And then, yeah. And then he turns into this like grand Torino esque bad old man with a shotgun in the, la- in the last act of this movie. And it's wonderful. Do you think we should like put a counter in this podcast as to how many how many movies outside with this we mentioned? I'll I'll, I'll tally it up. I'll put it in the show notes. I'll I'll, I'll run a little count because I am I am going off on more tangents than usual. I will admit because there are two you've mentioned that I'm pretty sure you don't know our movies. <laughs> <laughs> That's entirely possible. Um, okay, so then you know you already touched on Ghost Dog. Yeah, we we hear him as a voice through the early parts of this movie and. Eventually, he needs to show up because Hutch just gets himself in too deep and he needs all the backup he can get. So in walks the RZA as basically his old army buddy to to help him out in the final stand of this movie. Did you know that it was going to be the RZA? I mean, I knew when I heard the voice. Okay. Right. I knew who he was. Um, you know, Wu-Tang Clan. Um, <laughs> the, that sequence at the end, though, like... It's okay, but his like triple headshots. Oh, <laughs> it is. <laughs> yes, yes. That, that, in a theater, that would have got a cheer. Yeah. I will admit, this is uh, this is probably one of the first movies I'm I'm sad that I didn't get to see in a theater. Uh, dumb action movies are the best. Yes. And then speaking of these payoffs that are kind of spoilery, we build towards this final standoff in his in the factory that he bought. You know, from from Michael Ironside with just a bag full of gold, where. His, his father-in-law tells Hutch's brother-in-law, he's like, yeah, this sale is done. That's it. You're out. I, I, I did like that. It, this sequence, it turns into, depending on your age, either a Home Alone sequence or a Skyfall sequence of a, a, a just complete shootout smackdown amongst a whole bunch of booby traps. Oh, I'm sorry. When people saw Skyfall, were there people calling it Home alone Oh, Yes. I did not see that. I missed that boat. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Turning the house into um, a field of booby traps. That was that was the Home Alone callback. Nope. I'd just like to say I agree. It's Home Alone-esque, this movie. <laughs> it doesn't go on 
terribly long. It is what I expect it to be in this kind of movie. Um, it involves just a whole bunch of red shirts getting killed uh, and, and these three guys being badasses that can't really be killed. And at the end, only one of them is even shot. Like all three of them basically get through this scot-free, which you kind of expect at least one of them should go down. Um, if there's a sequel, we're going to lose one. Yeah, seeing all of these booby traps get tripped, everything from those, you know, the mouse traps to the iron girders in the air cannons, all of these ramshackle tripwires, it's just a joy to see one of them after the other get tripped. This movie was fun. This movie was a lot more enjoyable than I really thought it was going to be. It was a lot of... Um, Clever little one-liners. It, it never lingered too long in any of these things. Um, it, it's never gratuitous. It is a violent movie. Like this is not for kids, but it's never really gory or or really lingers in its violence. Um, and it's just, I guess, maybe I'm I'm grading on a curve of what I expected versus what I got. And sometimes sometimes that's a good thing. We end these uh, reviews with a souvenir, something tangible or intangible. If you could take away from this movie and keep, you would. Andrew Robinson, what would be your souvenir from uh, Nobody? Not to be confused, by the way, with Mr. Nobody, which is a very different movie. Yeah, I, as I mentioned to you, I'm like, what are we talking about? Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think Mr. Nobody is a much better title, but I guess it was taken. So, you know, they had to do what they needed to do. Um, what am I taking from this movie? I'm probably gonna, I'm probably gonna take that blanket that Christopher Lloyd has. Like it, these days, like that's what I need. I need like a nice warm blanket to sit with. Okay. Okay. I mean, it, it it looks cozy. Those those old man chairs and those old man blankets. Sometimes they're meant for for endurance, you know, because they gotta they gotta hold up for a long time with with the amount of use they get. Um, my souvenir will probably surprise nobody. Hutch has an incredible stereo setup and vinyl collection. So predictable. You knew it, and. There are few things that moved me as deeply as the ultimate fate of that stereo system and vinyl collection. I, I was, I really, I needed, I needed ice cream and a lot of, a lot of therapy after that scene. Do you, do you need the record collection saved to cut? Yes, I do. Yeah, I need, I need that cut, that edit of this movie where, where that is not the device. There's a scene before it where you see him box it all up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He, he pulls the, he pulls the candelabra, the, the, the wall turns, there's a blank wall and that's, you know, that, that's what happens. He could still use the record as the device because that was cool. But the rest of it, please, you know, think of the children. That's all I ask. Um, we rate here on the Bat Day cast on a scale of one four stars. Andrew Robinson, what do you give? Nobody. Um, it's a solid three. Yeah, I'm, it's I'm a with solid you. three stars. Yeah, it's a three. It's 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 a happy three. It's an unexpected three. It was what I needed at this moment in time. I was really really happy for that. Um, hey, maybe you folks think we're crazy. Maybe you think this movie's hot garbage. Uh, maybe you think it's a masterpiece and we're underselling this thing. Let me know. Um, we're not going to do another side on this episode just to kind of get this thing out into the world as quickly as we can and keep the line moving. But along with all of these, we've touched on a lot of other properties already through the course of this conversation. But if you could think of uh, a, a companion movie to go along with this, what would you suggest people go on to? So keeping in with the tradition of number one, starting the day by talking about Korean movies, number two, 
um, an action movie in which somebody messes with the wrong man and finds out more. And number three, a super violent movie. I'm going to talk about the 2010 film I Saw the Devil. Oh my Kim god, Jibun. yes, guy. Oh, that movie is so perfect. I have not watched it in a little bit. Maybe I'll put that on in the next couple of days. But basically, this this man has been done wrong, and he is doing more wrong back. And it is it's an it's a ridiculous revenge movie because in most revenge movies, when you watch them, there is someone who has something done wrong, and then he just goes and murders the guy, and it's done. And it's about him getting to the murder. This movie is almost like a catch and release story, in which he like finds the guy, does something, lets him run off for a bit does that rinse and repeat for like the next next hour, two and a half hours. And the movie, you just see two of the worst creatures just being violent to each other. Yep. And it is glorious. It's incredibly violent. Um, and not in a, not in a gory way, but in like every cut, like there's a lot of blades in this movie. Every cut is a kind of cut where you're like, every time. You know, Hutch gets like one or two of those in. But with I Saw the Devil, it's like every single one is one of those ones that you you feel deep down. So if you saw Nobody and you thought, I didn't want to laugh today, <laughs> but I like the action, I Saw the Devil. Yeah, Go there. Go there. Um, mine is a movie that actually follows a lot of the same beats and oddly enough has kind of evolved into a property of its own. Um, I went back to 2014 and I thought about the Denzel Washington equalizer. Mm. You know, you like that movie. Are you watching the Queen Latifah show? Well, no, I'm not. And now actually that I bring it up, I'm kind of curious. Like, have you been watching the Queen Latifah show? I have not. I've, I, I know, I, you know, like how, what you said to me when I mentioned Mortal Kombat, that's exactly how I feel. Okay. I'm just like, no, okay. Okay. <laughs> I'm not getting trapped into this. So, I mean, what I like about Equalizer is it's the same sort of setup in terms of Hutch where it's a dude who's just trying to live a quiet life. He works at like a Home Depot, you know, he lives by himself. He doesn't go looking for trouble. Trouble just kind of happens to enter into his orbit and it's another movie that has that home alone skyfall scene at the end and the the fighting is economical it's always badass and without lingering too long on any one fight like it's a it's a kind of guy that you can tell he understands what a body can do and what a body can take and like how much ammo he really has within him you know he's not the kind of person who thinks that he's a video game character that can just keep punching and punching and punching and punching he's like i've got about three minutes full out before i am just going to be gassed so i need to make really good choices about who i hit when i hit them where i hit them and how i hit them listen i've, I've watched it a few times since i saw it in a theater and yes i did see this in the theater i didn't see this at tiff but i did see it in the theater um i'm, I'm a big believer in this movie of i haven't course this played it, it did yeah um i've never seen the sequel i don't know how good it is but it's another movie that you know spawned another film and uh, and a tv show so it, it shows that anything that's successful we can never stop at just one we've got to make a few of them um but it the equalizer and hutch they're they're all they might almost be too similar 
to watch back to back. Like they're very, very much the same beats, but I think they'd make a good match. <laughs> well, there we go. That is a short and sweet episode 260 of the matinee cast. I'd like to thank Andrew for coming by and taking the ball uh, for a spot start on short rest. That's a baseball metaphor. Come back on Monday, April 17th for episode 261. Now I have options. We might discuss Mitchell's versus the machines. We might discuss together together. We might discuss the outside story. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we'll, we'll figure that out uh, over the next two weeks. Andrew is on top. The unnamed movie podcast. What do you guys got coming up? Um, well, we have an episode of an old Korean movie by the name of no tears for the dead, as well as the finale of our Jia Janke marathon um that's going to be going up pretty soon and after that i think we're planning shiva baby which will be out in a few more weeks nice. but yeah um so but i need to remind you sir that you really do have options there's also mortal Kombat. Nope. you have to remember nope. that. i i <laughs> i haven't heard of this movie I, I think it might be i'm not sure if it's playing in my market uh this this, this property of which you speak um if people want to follow you on twitter where can they find you as always, I'm at Gman Reviews, just posting gifs of movies I'm watching at this point. That's pretty much what, what I'm doing too. It works out great, you know. It's it's much more calming approach to Twitter. I'm 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 much more serene. Remember when we used to get into Twitter fights with people? Yeah, that, that, oh. yeah, I, I, that that used to be something I did for fun. I don't understand that. You used that to now. have hashtags about people being wrong. Yeah, I, what happened to that, Ryan? You know, one day, one day when when things are a little bit calmer for me, I might just I might just start start some shit for fun but right now there's just too much other shit that i can't start new shit my site is thematinee.ca for more audio content you can find back episodes by going to thematinee.ca slash podcasting you can also find them on spotify pocketcast google stitcher radio apple podcasts tune in radio public Castbox, and pod chaser if all of them give you a handy ways to subscribe for free and get alerts when new episodes drop if by any chance you get your podcast material somewhere that i did not mention please let me know and i will put it there feedback on nobody the film can be left in the comment section of the site you can email ryan at matinee.ca on twitter i am matinee underscore ca and there's always facebook facebook.com slash dark matinee any final thoughts andrew robinson i wonder when i'll get to listen to the matinee cast on quibi <laughs> jerk <laughs> funny but jerk for Andrew, I'm Ryan. We'll see you at the matinee.